Hi, this is Caitlin from Editing. I just wanted to first apologize for the appalling quality of my audio in this episode. And I also wanted to give you guys a heads up. In this episode, we're going to reference a character's death and that character did kill themselves in the course of these two episodes. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that that is coming up. And, you know, if you need to not listen to this episode because of that, go ahead and skip it. All right. uh, I am Nicole. And I'm Caitlin. And I'm Natalie. Awesome. Natalie is our special guest today. And this is That's That's Not not How Science Science Works. works. That's not it. You were struck by lightning. It came through a window. And now you have super speed. Yeah, sure. That seems plausible to me. Not at all strange or unlikely. You went back in time to save your mom, but didn't save her after all. And that opened up a black hole. Oh, I'm sorry I meant a singularity. That seems plausible to me. That seems plausible to... We did it, guys! We did it! It's the end of season one of The Flash! Woo! And let me tell you, the ending did not disappoint because... That's not how science works. I can't think too much about it or it makes my head hurt. That's not how science works. I don't know who wrote this nonsense, but it wasn't researched. And we're gonna talk about it in this podcast. You should buckle down, my friends, for real science. And today we're gonna talk about the season one finale of The Flash. It's really bad, oh so bad, it didn't disappoint us, I don't know why I'm doing that, I just feel like it. Also, we're going to start season two of The Flash, because, you know, we just decided to clump these two together for some reason. Today is a very special episode, because we are talking about the last episode of season one of The Flash. Caitlin has been waiting for this day for a very long time. And then we dragged our friend Natalie into watching a whole season of The Flash so that she could help us with talking about this last episode and the first episode of the next season, which we're also going to talk about. Um, Natalie, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, Yeah, uh, I'm Natalie. I don't have any specific science background that would be relevant, certainly, to anything we're talking about today. Uh, I'm a programmer by trade. And uh, like all trans women nine months into transition i love nothing more than recording my voice for everybody to hear permanently (laughs) forever on the internet so this is great we we appreciate your sacrifice (laughs) Uh, i am going to recap the last episode of season one of the flash because for reasons that will become evident shortly Caitlin did not think that she could get through the recap of this episode. I should have known. I spent so much time in editing, <laughs> listening to Talia say, oh yeah, I miss this character. I haven't watched the first season in a long time. But in my head, I was like, oh yeah, they must write them out in a happy ending at some point. <laughs> okay. So if you remember from the last episode, Eobard Thawne showed up and then with a tag team with Arrow and Firestorm, the Flash was able to lock him up. So Eobard comes to Barry in this episode with a proposal. Uh, basically, he tells Barry that 
he is from the future, but in the future, he and Barry are enemies. And he decided, uh, once he found out who Barry actually was, to go back in the past and um, kill him so that he would never exist. But Barry was able to rescue his past self, so instead, Eobarthon uh, killed Barry's mother, which he thought at the time would prevent Barry from ever becoming the Flash. But unfortunately, after Eobarthon traveled back in time, he became unable to travel again forward in time and realized that his only option for getting back to his timeline was to make Barry the Flash, even though that was what he uh, originally hoped to prevent. So Eobarthon assumed the identity of Harrison Wells, created the particle accelerator explosion, and made Barry the Flash, and has, to this point, been training Barry to run faster so that he would be able to open uh, like a wormhole that would allow him to go back to his time. So Eobarthon proposes to Barry, I have this uh, plan that basically will allow you to go back in time and save your mother, uh, and in the process it will also allow me to go back to my time. So Barry thinks it over, talks it over with his friends and family, and uh, eventually decides to go through with this plan. So he runs around in the particle accelerator. They apparently, like, shoot a hydrogen particle at Barry, and that creates a singularity. (laughs) Barry is able to isolate the time where his mother died, and he goes back there, but his uh, future self, who had gone back in time to fight Eobarthon and save his past self... Uh, signals to him not to intervene. So Barry at the last minute decides not to change the past and instead goes to his mom after she's been stabbed and says, hey, it's me, I'm your son, and is able to spend uh, her last moments with her. Uh, He then goes back to the present. Eobarthon had been uh, preparing to travel back to the future, but Barry stops him and they get into a big fight. Eobar gets super angry and says, I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to kill your family and I'm going to kill all your friends and everyone you love. At which point, Eddie, who, as we remember, is Eobarthon's ancestor, he kills himself, which prevents Eobarthon from ever being born and unwriting him from the timeline. After that point, a singularity opens, which they thought that they had uh, closed the wormhole that allowed Barry to go back in time, but uh, it appears that all of the weird timeness had opened the singularity again. It opens above the city. There was a risk that the wormhole Barry used to go back to in time would become a singularity. They thought they closed the wormhole, but then it reopens. It becomes a singularity and then like rises above the city and starts sucking lots of stuff into it. Uh, they're like, Barry, you won't be able to close it. But he's like, if I run really fast around it, it'll be like that tornado from the first episode and I might be able to close it. So he runs up and that's the end of the episode and the season. <laughs> you should look at Caitlin's face right now. <laughs> it's just like, I want to say I was actually really proud of the show for having Barry not save his mom. Like, I, I literally was like, yes, aloud, alone at night, in, watching television. And then, almost immediately afterward, we lose Eddie, and it's just, like, deeply upsetting. Yeah. And then it ends on, like, just a really... Cliffhanger? <laughs> a piece of science that is not science in any... <laughs> Caitlin, Caitlin, let's not kid ourselves. The Flash wouldn't be doing itself justice if they had done anything else. Like, ending on a piece of bad science, that's just par <laughs> for the course for The Flash. <laughs> so where where do we want to start with the science on this episode? <laughs> well, so bef- before we do that, um, sh- I feel like we should at least recap the relevant parts from 
season two, episode one. I, I will just give a quick summary of what happens so, because this will also be painful for Caitlin to talk about. So you're welcome, Caitlin. I'm talking about all the hard parts. So in the first episode of the second season, um, there's been a time skip and we find out through a series of flashbacks that they they were able to close the singularity. Barry ran really fast. And then Firestorm, who, if you remember, is uh, Professor Stein. And then Ronnie, who is Caitlin's fiance, who she actually married in the last episode of the first season. So now her husband. They fly up to the black hole singularity thing, create a big explosion, and that causes it to close. Um, but in the process, Ronnie dies. Professor Stein somehow makes it out okay, but Ronnie dies. I'll finally understand why this whole season, and I'm like, but the timeline doesn't make sense. Nicole has just been like, don't worry about it. Because the timeline, really, I can't. Don't I even can't try. Even to wrap my don't head even try. It. That's, it's, it, there's no point. There's yeah. literally no point in trying to worry about the timeline. Yeah, and, and speaking of which, I guess, um, like, there, I know this isn't the very first episode that it shows up, but I guess. I sort of have one category in my notes as just being things about the time travel itself. <laughs> and, and I guess like, I, you know, I, everybody sort of, I guess, draws their own line. Um, for me, you know, when talking about, okay, is this bad science? Like what's worth complaining about? What's worth, like, what's, what's actually like bad? Um, for, for me, the line is sort of like, okay, given given the constraints, right? This is a superhero story. We could we could open every episode with saying people can't go that fast and turn the podcast off, right? But we don't because you have to be able to tell that kind of story. Um, and the way the, you know, these stories are structured is like there are emotional beats they're trying to hit. There are character stories they're trying to tell. And the script, and there are existing characters, right? That they have to justify either using whatever bad science was there before or new bad science. Um, and so there are sort of these big plot places in the script, right? Where, you know, they, it'll be like Barry comes into the room and he's upset and they're, you know, worried because he failed to do a thing. So he feels bad. Um, science happens here. And then, you know, more details. And like, they sort of fill in those spots. So for me, the criteria is given that structure, can I replace your really bad science with something that is not as bad writing? <laughs> because if so, then you have unjustifiably bad science or like just bad writing, right? Like it did not need to be that bad if we could swap it out. So that that's sort of my threshold that drives. That's fair. Yeah, that's yeah. very that's fair. fair. I, I would say too that I've been complaining about the quality of like storytelling this whole season. Oh, me too. And these... <laughs> Two episodes are like the storytelling is pretty good. I just disagree deeply with their decision to kill off Eddie. <laughs> we we will argue about that. I know it makes sense on a lot of levels, but man, I wanted to keep him. Caitlin, they didn't kill Cisco, so at least you have that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, recently I was re-listening to some old episodes and Nicole was like, I promise you that Cisco will be alive at the end of the season. And little did I realize that she had to specify. Stein literally says there is no science to coincidence. And I just feel like statistics would disagree. Yes. Uh, so do we want to talk about the uh, the singularity? I I want to I kind of want to talk about the time travel first just okay. because like it 
that's sort of in chronological order of like what goes yep. through the episode. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. This is one of those things where like the, my criteria for <laughs> for like what I'm going to complain about really really starts to come into play because okay, time travel. Time travel is always wonky in storytelling, and it always serves a purpose, right? Like it's there because you want to tell a story about like regret or acceptance or 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 just like a hard sci-fi like let's track weird timelines kind of right like there's always some purpose here it's mostly emotional right it's about barry's relationship with his mother and like whether he accepts the the life that he has or like tries to go back and change it and so on they do this thing that we kind of talked about in the chat and that you've talked about on the podcast before where they can never let any of the main cast like not know something no matter what it is, they have to instantly have a full explanation of everything that's going on, even if it's impossible. Even if it's even if the premise is this is something brand new that no one's ever seen before. Everybody just sort of seems to have one basic view of what time travel entails. Uh, it's not consistent, but it, they generally treat it in the episode as though there's one timeline and you alter that timeline. Right? And you don't like spawn off multiple worlds, alternates, whatever. I have zero faith that they will stick to this in the rest of the series. But they they do not, I can confirm. Yeah. There is but... there is actually an episode in season two where they address the fact that like if you if you take if you take this to its logical conclusion, like Eddie making sure that Aobard never existed in the first place meant that Aobard could never go back in time and kill Wells. Right. So they should be in a completely different timeline, but you start season two and that's not the case. Like it just kind of picks up <laughs> where season one left off. And so there is an episode where they do try to grapple with that a little bit. And honestly, like that is, it's like, I, I appreciate that at least they tried to explain that. Um, it just got to the point in the flash where it's like, I'm just not going to worry about the fact that like, I agree. It seems like there should be one timeline, but there there are also multiple timelines, and you just can't think about it too much. But And the reason that it matters, right, is because here, it's one of those things that all of the characters just kind of silently agree upon. Even though that's a pretty big question, right? Because the, the big question for the episode is, should Barry go back and save his mother? Right? And everybody just kind of seems to... Just talks about it as though that means that, like, all of this will, like, not have happened, right? It's like, it's the back to the future thing, where you change the past, you come back to the present, things are different. Nobody seems to, like, it doesn't even enter anybody's mind for a second that, like, does that mean we won't exist anymore? Yeah. Yeah, I think the closest they get is the fact that sort of there's an kind of a feeling in this episode of, well, this is the time, this is what we have now and let's cherish what we have now. And, which is, I think, why out of nowhere, Ronnie and Caitlin just get married with, like, no preamble because they're like, well, we don't know what's going to happen after Barry does this thing, but we know that right now, right here, here's what we have and so we're going to get married. No one explicitly says, well, we might not exist when you come back, so we might as well get married now. Joe and Barry have a discussion where... Uh, Barry talks about the fact that, like, if I go back in time and do this thing, you will never have been my father. Uh, and I don't I don't know if I want that. And Joe kind of tries to say, like, I will always be in your life. 
but obviously that's not necessarily the case. So yeah, I think that that's the closest that they get to, but I, I totally agree. It's like there are bigger ramifications to what Barry is doing than just Barry's life, because if you assume that we as people are, you know, a summation of our personality, but also our experiences, and then you change the timeline and change the experiences that people are having, then effectively you're erasing the people that we have currently and replacing them with new people. Right? Like, yeah. what about everything that everybody else experienced in the last 14 years? For everybody else to just treat it like it's this personal thing for Barry. Yeah. And that, like, it's obvious that the only consequence is that, oh, well, our our memories and experiences are going to change. When there's a real existential question of, will we be alive in any meaningful sense? Yeah. I think that yeah. the show wasn't necessarily ready to ponder it yet. And I say that specifically because I know that at some point there is a thing called Flashpoint. And when Flashpoint happens, which I'm 90% sure is Barry going back and saving his mom, he like literally erases someone's kid. Yeah. Well, and, and so the reason that I bring this up, because, you know, you raise a point, right? They're not ready to grapple with this. And, and that's fine, right? Like I, you know, I, like I said, I try to avoid criticisms that are, you should have written a different story about a different thing. Because that's not really fair. Yeah. But the reason that it ties into other things, or that, that it that comes up for me, is because it ties into the fact that they don't real like, it would, it would be a lot better if they had a more compelling reason that he needed to go back. Yes. And that's, and that's going to come back yeah. and make this really stupid after he actually does it yes. because yeah. he decides not to do it. He comes back, punches Eobard, even though Eobard, nothing has changed. Just Barry decided because of what Barry told Barry not to do it. it Eobard didn't betray him or like trick him or, or anything. Whoa. So I know I'm, I'm with Natalie on this one. You like I, I'm, I'm confused though. Why they can't just let him go back to the future? Like, Aobard has already said, like, I can't time travel anymore. I do not have the ability to do that on my own. So what's the harm in letting him go back to his future? Or even if you don't want to let him, right, then you should have just not let him out of his cell into the time machine and, yes. like, just betrayed him then. My point specifically is nothing changed that, that made any sense of Barry turning around and saying, oh, now I'm mad at Aobard because I decided not to do it based on their earlier discussion because they have this whole thing where they talk about how they can only keep the wormhole open for like a minute and 54 seconds or whatever and then barry's like that should be enough time to save my mom but it won't be enough time for me to come back to the present and stop aobard and so it it sounded like he was hoping that he could stop aobard the whole time but he didn't think he would be able to come back to the present soon enough and they were just going to let him out of his cell. And I don't I don't really know. Like, I totally agree. It doesn't make sense that it's like they already had everything they needed to send Barry back in time. They didn't need to let Eobard out of his cell at all. But Barry was hoping that, like, he could go back in time and then come back to the present and stop Eobard. I do agree with you that from Eobard's standing, this is completely out of the blue and doesn't make any sense. Basically, in the lore of the Flash, like, you can't reset a timeline is essentially what it goes down to. Like, you can go back and, like, try to change things, but you can't reset a timeline to what it was before. You only keep messing up further. What really drives me crazy, actually, is this whole thing where they're like, Barry, you only have two minutes. 
or the wormhole will become a singularity. And I'm like, okay, Barry can literally time travel. He can literally come back to the, the exact point in time at which he left the that point in time. Like, why does the two minutes matter? <laughs> why? That's one of those things that, like, I mean, it, that that's... I'm fine with that as, like, a way it could work. I think it's it's cleaner if you just have somebody establish that that's how it will work. You don't really have to say why, just, you know, okay, based on these numbers, it's it's going to correlate to two minutes on your end. The, whenever time travel comes up in the Flash, it's basically the equivalent of people waving their hands and saying, you don't see anything. This all makes sense. Uh-huh. We definitely know how particle accelerators work. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, speaking of which. Yeah, do we want to talk about particle accelerators? Yeah. We've been like not talking about particle accelerators this whole season, but I think we need to talk about particle accelerators. When I saw this episode, I was like, crap, now I actually have to look up how particle accelerators work. <laughs> I mean, the good news is we do, is you don't actually have to know that much about how particle accelerators no. work to, like, no, you really don't. to find... <laughs> Uh, who wants to start? Yeah. One of the big things with particle accelerators is that uh, throughout this season, whenever we see like the area where quote unquote, the particle accelerator is, it's like this big tunnel underground. And so basically in this episode, Barry just runs really fast around this tunnel. And then they just like, I guess, shoot a hydrogen particle at him. (sighs) And then that, that works. Whereas, like, particle accelerators in reality, like, you have to accelerate the particles in a vacuum. So they're, like, specifically in tubes that are, like, that are vacuum. And you use magnetic fields to, like, manipulate the particles in those tubes to go faster and slower. So you couldn't just have a guy running around in that tube and then also just, like, inject a particle in there. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if they were going for... Like, Barry is the particle that it gets accelerated, but instead of being accelerated by magnets, he's accelerated by the speed force, and then the injected particle is just a thing he runs into? They definitely, like, shoot a hydrogen particle at him, though. Yeah. They do. Can, can we... I'd like to go into that... that spe- the specifics of this plan <laughs> a little... a little bit more, right? <laughs> and I will say, um, you know, aesthetically, like, the... the de- the set design for like the particle accelerator, like that does basically look like the the sort of hallways in which the tubes kind of like actually sit. Yeah, they just yeah. don't have the actual tube. No, I do agree with that. Um, the actual thing that would accelerate the particle. I do agree with so that. But yeah, um, and I don't know for anybody I guess who's who's listening who isn't familiar with you know ring accelerators like the the basic mechanics of a ring particle accelerator like you know you've got like straight line accelerators and you've got like ring accelerators and if it's a straight line then you basically are just using a bunch of magnets in sequence turning them on and off kind of like a a magnet train or anything that works like that to make the particle go real fast by the end Uh, for rings you are limited by the size and the magnet strength because it takes like it takes energy the faster that the particle's going the more sort of magnetic force you need to keep it from just like flying off the side 
the, the size and the magnet strength are sort of the limiting factors on, on how fast you can get that. And I bring all that up because none of it matters for this plan whatsoever. Because usually, right, you would have a stream of particles that you would be running around the ring again and again and again, using the magnets to get them faster and faster. Um, and then, you know, maybe at the last second, like diverting them off or, or do whatever it is where you're going to make them collide. Uh, and here, they very conspicuously do the exact opposite of this. They have very running in circles, using the speed force to get fast, yes. and then they supposedly launch a hydrogen particle, which is to say they gently drop a single proton in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the the energy calculations here. Um like the large hadron collider uh does uh, collisions that are something on the order of oh I had it written down. Um they they can do ones that are very close to the speed of light. Yes, and and because it's a single particle that ends up being what a couple dozen tera electrovolts. I had it written down. Must have lost that one. Um which it's worth noting. That like a tera electrovolt, it, it that's certainly a big prefix, right? But like this, that was me snapping my fingers in front of the microphone. That was probably hundreds, if not thousands, of tera electrovolts of energy just there, because that was my whole hand, not a single proton. So when when they talk about the speeds here and, and giving numbers to speeds, right? That is always a death knell for this show <laughs> in terms of science. Giving numbers to anything is <gasps> oh. a death knell for this show. <laughs> I think we've had like two numbers where we're like, ah, oh, that was close. <laughs> yeah. So they say he has to go Mach 2 at a minimum. And I, I really want to, I really want to directly quote this. Um, this is uh, Joe saying, you know, what happens if he doesn't go fast enough? I'm imagining a bug hitting a windshield. How far off am I? Stein says. Not very. <laughs> when in fact, it's much more like when we're talking about hitting a proton at Mach 2 or failing to get up to speed. So hitting it at sub Mach 2, which is less energy inexplicably. Hitting it at a little sub Mach, uh, a little under Mach 2. Uh, a better analogy would be literally anything that's ever gone Mach 2 at all. Because yeah. you hit particles yeah. constantly, some of which are maybe helium ions. You're hitting whatever's in the air. Like, <laughs> that that's a better analogy. Well, and what I think is really funny about this, too, is they make a big deal about Barry needing to go Mach 2. And it's like, okay... So Mach 2 is two times the speed of sound, which is a little more than 1,500 miles per hour. If you compare that to how quickly particles that are being accelerated in the Large Hadron Collider are going, uh, which again are close to the speed of light, which is, uh, you know, 299 million meters per second. Um, I didn't do the conversions, but like it is so much faster than Mach 2 it's silly for them to be comparing the two speeds. It's it, like they make it seem like Barry going Mach 2 is fast compared to what the particle is going at, but that is not true at all. The particle is going like orders of magnitude faster than Barry is if they're actually accelerating it properly. 
the amount of energy of Barry running at like Mach 2 is significantly more than the energy that a single particle in, say, the Large Hadron Collider has, because he's much bigger. He has many, many particles. But it doesn't matter, because what he's supposed to be colliding with a single proton, yeah, which is at most going to collide with like one of his atoms. And so the energy contained in that co- collision <laughs> is much closer to the energy of a single carbon atom moving at Mach 2, which is not measured in tera electrovolts. It is measured in centi electrovolts. <laughs> I calculated it out. It's about 0.03 electrovolts. Fantastic. That's nothing. Fantastic. That is that is me waving my hand in front of my face right now and hitting air molecules every time I do it. That's the kind of collision we're talking about here. Natalie, I think that you are underestimating the fact that all the speed force needs is that single collision and it just causes a chain reaction that opens up a wormhole. <laughs> well, and I mean, you're kind of kidding, but honestly, that's what they should have said. Right. They, no, I totally agree. I would argue that they don't they do not use that as a justification anywhere near enough. I agree. They should just be like, hey, look, it's the speed force magic. And then I'd be like, oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fine. But what drives me crazy is that they, they introduce, like, numbers and they'll, like, throw down science terms and be like, this is definitely what it is. And then me, as a person who knows something about science, is like, no. And I totally agree with you. They just need to be like, hey, look, speed force, speed force magic. And it would make the characters sound so much less stupid because, like, <laughs> because, it, you know, it, what makes your character sound stupid is when they say, oh, that nonsense thing. I know all about that thing. Here's some bad science to explain why that everybody knows is nonsense. Whereas if you just have if you're willing to let them not know, um, we kind of talked this about this in the, the chat a little bit, but like. It's the the writers have this very, it's like a a, a nine-year-old's conception of what a smart person is, (laughs) right? Like a smart person is someone who like knows the answer to like things. And so a thing happens and they know what the answer is, but that's not what like, you know, smart here being, you know, educated expertise, like whatever, whatever we want to use it as a proxy for. The writers don't appreciate the ability of like, wonder to convey knowledge right that like this character is smart enough to be confused by this thing or that they're they're knowledgeable enough to be like surprised or just in wonder that this thing is possible <laughs> oh yeah Kaylin, do you have anything you want to add to our discussion of uh particle accelerators yeah the accelerator stuff definitely was i was like watching it i was like i'm pretty sure that's not how accelerators work <laughs> Nope. But uh, I found a really great infographic that does not go into as much detail as you guys have, but I'm definitely going to make sure it gets posted on the website. That's just basically like how particle accelerators work. So at one point they're talking about Barry and they're like, if he runs really fast, his suit is apparently has a bunch of tungsten in it and it will create a tungsten dust that is highly flammable. Uh, And so I looked this up and apparently... Yes, tungsten in, like, a particulate cloud is flammable. But then Cisco goes and talks to Wells, and Wells is like, you should use a cobalt resin. 
And then I found a uh, a chemical website that was talking about at least like one cobalt resin, and that is also highly flammable. So I don't. I, once again, they don't seem to understand material science at all on this show. But that's my two yeah, bits. I don't. I don't know if that was Barry's suit or no, if it that was, was the, that time was the time machine, machine that they were. Building. Oh, it was the time machine. Okay, sorry. I was kind of only half paying attention because I was like, "This is stupid." <laughs> but they used the the phrase "temporal shearing." Oh, I love that! that. Is, I love that. That is two real words that do not mean anything together. <laughs> but here, here's why I love it in particular. Okay, because the exchange. I made a note of this because it it was nonsense. Um, was you know, Ronnie's looking at Wells's design for the time machine. And he says, you know, well, these are made of tungsten. And Cisco says, well, it has the highest melting point. And Ronnie says, yeah, but the dust it generates is flammable. And Cisco does his, oh, I see face and says, the pressure exerted from the wormhole could cause a hole to be melted into the exterior. It is not obvious to me at all that that follows from what came before, because even if you had your tungsten plates and they generated some dust in the process of this thing, and the pressure ignited that dust i don't have like I, I was unable to find anything that could suggest at you know what the temperature of that might be but i see no reason to think that the ignition of that dust would then burn a hole through the tungsten plates chosen because they have the highest melting point so tungsten has the highest melting point of all metals in pure form but it it is not the material with the highest melting point period Mm-hmm. So it's like there are there are other materials I'm sure that you could use instead of tungsten if that was really an issue. And I mean, like the idea to use a cobalt resin, it's like, well, resin is a polymer. So why why did you not just start with, oh, look, this metal is not working. Let's use a polymer. Like That, that seems fairly obvious. I don't uh, know. I, I did also like briefly look into cobalt resins and like in where they're being used as best I can tell, they think that Dr. Wells is going to be doing some polyhistidine tag purification to isolate proteins uh, while <laughs> on his journey. Um, and apparently after this conversation, they had like another off-camera conversation where they said, ah, screw it, let's just make it a glass ball. Yes. yes yes i was also very confused by that i mean it allows us to see obar better but i also thought it was kind of weird that cisco looks at ronnie as if like how could you have any knowledge of this even though ronnie was the senior mechanical engineer who designed the entire accelerator and i got the impression that ronnie was senior to cisco so maybe it's because he's like, I didn't realize that you, a mechanical engineer, knew so much about material science. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, the singularity. The wormhole. I will say, like, so as, as we lead up to the discussion of the wormhole, I would like to go to one line from the lead up to the execution of the wormhole in the show where they, you know, point out in advance we ran some numbers and there is a chance you could create a singularity. And at this point, here's where the thing I noted earlier about needing a better reason for this comes into play. Because the moment there is any chance that you are going to not just like 
end all life on Earth in the philosophical, we ended this timeline sense, and start doing it in the very concrete, we physically destroyed the Earth sense. That's the <laughs> point where, like, Barry's relationship with his mom doesn't matter. Uh, and Yeah, I totally agree. And now it's time for the real hero of the show, wherever they are, uh, to come in and kill Barry. Hello, protagonist-centered morality. <laughs> and again, nobody yeah. seems bothered by this. Everybody, everybody seems to still be, you know, like, well, this is a real personal question for Barry. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Uh, you know what I really love about this, the, the quote-unquote singularity, too, is that it, like, starts in the particle accelerator and then somehow, like, rises <laughs> from there into the sky at which point it just starts sucking stuff into it so one thing that i find really amusing about this is well back to your point natalie about um electron volts so when barry's talking about like running around the black hole to close it which is definitely not something you can do uh but then stein goes that would have an energy barrier of 6.7 tera electron volts, uh-huh. which, as we discussed earlier, is is not actually a large amount of energy. And also, an energy barrier is not a thing. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, and then later, what I, I also like when they're talking about trying to close it, they're saying that basically, I think Barry, they're like, he's affecting the angular momentum of the black hole. But now we need to collapse the inner and outer event horizons. So a few things about that. Black holes just kind of suck things into them. It's not like it's not like a little whirlpool where things like slowly circle and then enter it's gravity. in. gravity. <laughs> it's just it's gravity. gravity. Yeah. So a black hole is just something that is basically so it has so much mass that it's drawing everything around it into it like you're not going to circle it like a worm like a little whirlpool you're just going to fall in so the angular momentum thing makes no sense because you wouldn't just have things circling around it and then slowly falling in right i did find uh something that suggested that around black holes there could be the illusion of things sort of being like circling and then falling in because of how relativity works but it's an illusion. It's not actually anything to do with circular motion. The, uh, the research that I did um, suggested that a black hole is basically just like a tornado, only upside down and bigger and scarier because I researched it by looking at Barry and Barry is very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then one of the other things that I find is really funny is this talk about inner and outer event horizons. And black holes do not have multiple event horizon. So in a black hole, the idea is you can get a certain closeness to the black hole. And then theoretically, if you put enough energy into yourself, you would be able to escape. But at some point, you would have to go faster than the speed of light in order to escape the black hole. And at that point, that's where the event horizon is. So you don't have multiple event horizon. There's just the one. And once you cross the event horizon, you can't leave the black hole. So this idea of collapsing multiple event horizons, not something you can do. I can give a little bit of, uh, of context to why they're talking about it, though. Okay. 
generally, when we're talking about black holes, we're talking about, I think it's pronounced uh, Schwarzschild uh, solutions to the black hole equations that a lot of a lot of our models of black holes have to do with like specific um, solutions that people have found to certain equations based in definitions of um, uh, general relativity. Details aren't really important for what we're talking about here, but the point is that there are sort of separate um, separate solutions mathematically to these equations for, uh, or at least that we have found so far, for like static, like uncharged, non-rotating black holes, that is black holes that have no net charge and which are not rotating. Um, and that's like the most simple model. And there's a separate set of uh, solutions um, devised by, I believe, Kerr and Newman that describe rotating black holes. In a Kerr black hole, there are both an inner and an outer horizon and rotation, but uh, none of that has anything to do with this because, um, okay, so for starters, as best I can tell based on what other, other people have written about it, the inner horizon is more of a like mathematical side effect because again this is a model right these are not definitions based on oh we made a bunch of black holes here are our observations they are here are the here are the results of this solution to these equations as best i can tell it doesn't the inner horizon doesn't matter it's generally discarded um, as as just kind of meaningless, um, and the only reason, and, and basically that ends up being fine because nobody's using this solution for that part of it. Uh, they're using it because of because it's useful if we're talking about like the parts outside of that, the the outer horizon and the stuff around it. So uh, everybody seems to to be on the same page that like. The inner horizon doesn't doesn't really matter. It's not it's not like really a thing in like if you went out to space like oh we're through the outer horizon but we haven't yet hit the inner horizon kind of thing like that's that's not it. There was this kind of hysteria or like uh, concern when CERN first opened that it would like end the world by creating a black hole and. Uh, there is this great piece that science.nasa.gov put out called The Day the World Didn't End, where they basically talk about, like, hi, this is how the world did not end when we started CERN, and here's why it didn't. And here's how even if there were black holes, they would be micro black holes, and they would go away almost immediately, and we would all be very excited about it because they would suggest that string theory might actually be a theory and not just a thing that's untestable that we made up. All right. Uh, I think we should move on to the next episode. Yes. Uh, Caitlin? Yes, please. All right. The Man Who Saved Central City. It opens in a very confusing way. There's like a recap and then there's a time jump, but nobody tells you it's a time jump. Did I have to rewatch this beginning three times to figure out what was happening? Yes. Yes, I did. Anyway, apparently Barry's full name is Bartholomew Henry Allen, which I thought was entertaining. So we find out that there's been a time jump and Barry is now working as a lone wolf. We see the flashback, which we've already mentioned, where we see that Barry was not the only person who was kind of fighting the black hole. And in that, Ronnie was forever disappeared slash killed. 
So Barry basically is like, I can never work with people again because then my friends will die and that would be awful. So he is like kind of being a lone wolf and the city is throwing a day for him and everyone tries to convince him to go to the Flash Day, but he's all like, oh, I'm not going to go. And he just secretly builds things at night. Then he does actually show up at the Flash Day, but there's like a new uh, metahuman in town who it's kind of ambiguous, but they can kind of like grow and also like punch things and also are kind of powerful. In his job as a normal like medical examiner type person at the police force, they saw that this guy at a nuclear power plant had been killed and under mysterious circumstances, and they figure out that the new metahuman looks just like him, but isn't him because the guy who actually is dead, A, is actually dead, and B, wasn't even in Central City when the particle accelerator exploded. They end up figuring out that this guy, I can't remember what they call him, I don't know, Nuclear Man or something? Adam Smasher. Adam Smasher. When Adam Smasher was attacking the Flash at the Flash Day, all of the X-rays and CT machines failed simultaneously in the radius around that area. They figure out that he is drawing on radiation, like background radiation and radiation from machines in order to like exercise his powers. So Barry hatches the excellent plan with the help of his friends because they all convince him that he can't do it alone anymore of uh, going to the nuclear power plant that's strangely in the center of Central City and uh, luring the guy into the very center of the power plant while it's off. And then having his friends switch it on, running out super fast and leaving him behind. So Adam Smasher gets inundated with more radiation than he can handle. And then they turn it off. It somehow is instantly free of radiation. And Barry goes back in to talk to him and ask about kind of his uh, motivations and what's going on. And he basically says, I can't explain it. You would never believe me. Uh, But he does mention that someone named Zoom said that he'd be able to go home if he kind of did this. The other thing that's going on during this episode is that basically Wells left him like his entire fortune and the particle accelerator and everything in his will. But in order to like actually receive all of that, he has to watch the video that's on this flash drive. So they just plug it into his computer. No big deal. And it contains uh, a full confession of um, Wells slash Aobard having killed his mother with details So they submit that and Barry's dad is able to get out of prison. Then they have like this very weird scene where Barry's dad is like, I'm out. Finally, that's great. But now I have to leave you behind because reasons, question mark. Mm. And at the very end of the season, someone, potentially another speedster, shows up at the uh, headquarters and kind of introduces himself and says that everyone is in danger. My theory is that he's from Earth 2 and this must be when all the Earth 2 stuff starts. Because of, like, blah, blah, wormhole, blah, blah, singularity. But that's basically the end of the episode. All right, Caitlin, you're only 50 seconds over, so not too bad. Uh, we'll, we'll learn more about Zoom as the season progresses. So I really want to talk about radiation. Yes! Because, oh, oh, this is, this is one of my giant pet peeves when it comes to bad science is... oh freaking radiation i also just quickly forgot to mention in my synopsis that at one point part of how they discover that it's radiation that he's sucking up or whatever there's a a badge that was on the dead guy and cisco brings it to caitlin like hey can you analyze this badge for me even though you're in a totally new job now at this other lab and i'm like how can she analyze that badge isn't she supposed to be a medical doctor of some kind It's like a radiation tag, like Medigan talked about in one of the previous episodes. It's like it's a way that you measure whether or not you've been exposed to like too high levels of radiation. But uh, 
Yeah, it's just another moment where like Caitlin is like just any of any kind of doctor they feel like she what should be. What kind of doctor is Caitlin? Shrug. Uh, okay, so so the whole idea in this episode is that the the Adam Smasher guy can like grow tall and become super strong because he absorbs radiation. All right, obviously absorbing radiation can't make you tall or super strong, and I don't know where he's getting the extra mass to make him tall and super strong, but let's just pretend that he can, okay? The the show does not seem to understand that there are different types of radiation. Some of them are harmful. A lot of them are not. Uh, So, like, electromagnetic radiation, which is one of the big types of radiation that you will encounter in your everyday life, just means that it is, um, like, energy that is in a waveform. Uh, And there is a whole spectrum that goes from, like, radio frequency to gamma. And uh, basically the type of radiation that you are experiencing has to do with how much energy, uh, which is related to the frequency of that waveform of energy. Um, So there are a lot of types of energy in the electromagnetic radiation spectrum that are perfectly fine for you. So, like, radio waves, totally fine. Like, light waves totally fine microwaves totally fine um so those are all types of radiation that are called non-ionizing radiation totally fine for you ionizing radiation is actually harmful for you if you have too much of it uh basically because it can mess up your your cells and cause you cancer um so things like ultraviolet is kind of on the edge so like a little is good for you that helps you get vitamin d but too much can cause skin cancer like x-rays are ionizing radiation and x-rays like you have to be really careful or they can cause cancer that's why there's this whole discussion about like people who are at risk for breast cancer when should you start administering mammograms because mammograms are done through x-rays and x-rays are associated with a risk of cancer themselves so it's like okay, we want to detect cancer, but we also don't want to give you cancer. Like, gamma rays obviously can cause cancer. And so, like, when they're talking about all of this type of radiation, like, they make no distinction between, like, radiation at different levels of energy and radiation that is associated with a risk of cancer and a radiation that is not associated with a risk of cancer. And, like, when they talk about how, like, the x-rays and the CT machines and, like, a mile radius go out when this guy is using his powers later on stein also talks about how like we all have like baseline levels of radiation from cell phones and microwaves so i don't think the show really seems to understand that like it, it seems to be that he's just absorbing electromagnetic radiation but they're not talking about specific frequencies that he's absorbing. So if that was really the case, if he was just absorbing lots of electromagnetic radiation, that, for example, would get really dark where he's at because he would also be absorbing light. Like, radios would go down because he would be absorbing radio waves. Like, it it just uh, drives me crazy. But not just electromagnetic radiation because at the uh, hazardous waste reclamation plant, is that what it is? Hazardous waste reclamation or whatever it was. Yeah, um, something. Uh, I mean, generally, like, as far as I can tell, the, the kinds of radiation that you would be dealing with in hazardous materials there are mostly going to be particle radiation. Yes, yes. And so 
I think I think it's pretty clear what's going on here in the writers' minds. Um, they basically they're talking about ionizing radiation because that's the thing people talk about when they talk about dangerous radiation. And you know whether the ionizing radiation is electromagnetic or particle radiation. Like if it's ionizing, that's the thing that kills you, yes. right? That's what gives you cancer. Whether you're standing next to like plutonium or like you just live in an X-ray machine. Two completely different kinds of radiation, but the result is the same because they're both ionizing. Because they have no idea that that's a thing. That's why they lump in microwaves and cell phones. Yeah. But whenever he acts, he's clearly, they clearly mean to say, right, that he is sucking in ionizing radiation, that that's what powers him. Right. And then the other thing that drives me crazy is that Professor Stein says that, like, we all have radiation from exposure to cell phones and microwaves and it's like okay okay <laughs> we do have like exposure to radiation at all times but like when we're talking about like people have exposure to radiation that can be harmful to us we are not talking about cell phones and microwaves we are talking about like there the, like, the earth itself has a certain amount of radiation that it just kind of emits and so like that's kind of your baseline radiation uh, the other thing is, like, you can ingest things that are radioactive. And as long as it's in, like, small doses, you're fine. But, like, you as a person having radiation, it is not because you are exposed to microwaves and cell phones. It is because of different sources of radiation. And that touches ah. on another thing, right? Which is, like, I guarantee you in their heads, um, even though they haven't thought about it, like, they casually conflate radiation radioactive yes which is yes. a very very specific thing yes absolutely they also think that like radiation is a substance yeah, it is yeah didn't you know like, Natalie? You could, like at the waste <laughs> at the waste plant they just have or the waste treatment facility or whatever um they they just keep open like they just keep cans of radiation and like he, he just goes in there and just oh, yeah. like starts starts popping open cans of radiation <laughs> and chugging them. And there's like, no. What's really funny is they're like green fumes coming out of these cans that he just absorbs. And it's like, yes, everyone knows that radiation <laughs> radiation looks like green fumes. Yep, that is accurate. And there is nothing radioactive inside the cans. The cans are otherwise empty. These are yes. cans of radiation. <laughs> <laughs> The way that they conflate the ability that we have as humans to interact with like the modern electric world to turn things on and off with an actual power plant, because in order for me to be able to turn the lights on and off at any time, the power plant has to always be running unless we have good enough batteries to store things. But especially nuclear power plants, I actually messaged Medeacon, who has been a guest on our show a couple times to talk about radiation related things because I was like, hi, I'm just going to describe this scenario to you and you're going to tell me if it's realistic at all. And she just <laughs> sent back like laughing emojis and then said, there's a very specific sequence of events that you go through in order to get a nuclear reactor up to the point where it's reacting at the correct like level to make energy. And then when you turn them off, you can't just like turn them off and the radiation just dissipates immediately and Barry is like safe to walk in there immediately. You actually like, it's a long process to sort of turn them off and you put in like these rods to help like absorb some of the radiation and like it's a big thing. You can't just like turn them off and on it uh, on a whim. Oh, and even if you could, the radiation wouldn't magically dissipate. Yeah. 
I mean, that's all nice, but like, I'm pretty sure that a nuclear power plant is basically just a big walk-in microwave. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right, Natalie. Yes. Right? Like, I mean, you know, they've got the big door and like, you can open the door and then, you know, you you push a button and it, you know, goes. (laughs) (laughs) And then it goes beep, beep. Beep, and then and then your nuclear is done and uh, you can open it up and see what you got. And okay, I want you to remember that they did indeed kill this person because Oh yeah, later, that was the plan. Yes, that the whole plan was to kill this person and like, you know, I don't is have the first a, time they've officially killed someone? I think so because other ones have died but they've usually killed themselves. So yeah, I think this one this, was premeditated. Yes, and I just want you to remember this because there is a plot point in Later on, I think it, it's in season three where Barry's like, well, I don't kill people. And I'm like, Barry, you have indeed <laughs> killed people. Why are you getting qualms now? <laughs> so just just hold on to this and remember but that remember, Nicole, Team Flash has killed someone. Earth two people are not people. Earth two lives <laughs> don't matter. Uh, I, I'm going to probably bring this up later on, uh, but there's like the... Basically, like, when this plot point comes up in a later season, and they're like, well, we don't kill people. And I was thinking, you have actually, like, I know that you have killed people. Um, I looked this up, and there was, like, this whole Reddit thread discussing this, where they were also like, but they have actually killed people. And then the responses were like, but those were all people from Earth 2, and we know that Earth 2 lives don't matter. So, like, there is a running joke about, like, Earth 2 lives don't matter. So it doesn't count if it's someone from Earth 2. So at the very end of the first episode of the second season, they add, like, the lightning bolt logo to his costume? Was it not there the entire first season? I feel like I thought it was there. No, it was there, but it it wasn't on the white background. Oh, So they add it with, like, the little white circle behind it. Gotcha. The classic. Which is like logo. they saw, yeah, which is what they saw in the newspaper from the future. Oh, uh, two more quick hits on radiation before we move oh, on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one is uh, part of the way that like they, they figure out what's going on is that after Caitlin has actually analyzed the radiation tag, which is, you know, a, a film badge dosimeter, right? It's a specific kind of personal dosimeter that people wear. I think that's been covered in like earlier episodes. The plot point here is that they they hand it to her just to kind of poke around, see what's going on. Um, and she works out that uh, what basically this guy's power is because it was drained. It was a drained radiation tag. Now, the, the basic mechanics for how a radiation tag works is you have like this plastic case um, and then you have an actual p- piece of film. It, originally, it was actual photographic film. Um, now it's a little more specialized. But you have a piece of film. And when it's exposed to uh, ionizing radiation in certain ranges, you know, you, you tailor it to what you're trying to measure best, right? You know, the film gets literally exposed to the red radiation, just like photographic film is exposed to light. And so what they do is, you know, you wear that, and then, like, once a quarter, you turn in your badge, and they analyze it for you. Um, and they literally, like, develop the film and they, you know, look, what's the, pa- like, how much, how dark is this? How much has it absorbed? Um, and that's how they determine, like, okay, what radiation have you been exposed to over the last quarter? 
you know, make sure that that's all good. It is not a, like, bucket that catches radiation headed towards you that you could then drain afterward. It is not like, it is not like, again, they, the writers think radiation is a substance. Like, we've got this radiation. Quick, get the radiation buckets and let's like fill it with radiation and then put the cap on and then we'll send it to the, the hazardous waste treatment facility. Um, you know, everybody had like turn in your dosimeters and we'll like crack them open and see how much radiation is. Just inside. pour it out, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, like we can just add it back to the power plant later. Just pour it in. <laughs> yeah, you cannot drain a radiation tag because it is film that has been. It's like popping open your film camera and like, oh, this I can't develop this. It's been drained of light. I I want to say one other thing. When uh, when Caitlin is working at her other job at Mercury Labs, which like, why would you leave that job, Caitlin? Don't leave that job. We all no. know that Mercury Labs is superior to Star Labs. Oh, yeah. It's run by Christina. And like Cisco talks about how like he actually had trouble getting into Mercury Labs because it has way better security. And I'm like, <laughs> lol. Yes, obviously, it's hard to have worse security. But then he walks in and he's like, that's a nice proton splicer. And as far as I could tell... A proton splicer is not a thing that exists. Well, it kind of is. They've got one back at Star Labs. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and then this is totally not science related, but is in fact related to the fact that I am a lawyer. Uh, so when Barry is talking to Caitlin about this flash drive he got from uh, from Wells, he says... They never even consider whether or not it could have a virus on it. And they just plug it into her work laptop. And I, it's. Yeah, I know. I know. But he's, he's describing the situation to her. And he says that uh, Wells had a living will. And that's what he is <sighs> trying to execute. And uh, there is a difference between a regular will, which is the document that you write all of the stuff that you want to leave to people on, and a living will which is not that sort of document at all. A living will Ooh, I is... know, I know the difference. A living will is one that you write while you're living. <laughs> <laughs> you're, yeah, that's it, no. <laughs> it is um, in the world of the flesh. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so a living will is you essentially expressing measures that you would like to be taken in as like end of life preparation. So, like, a lot of times when you're doing end-of-life preparation, you will execute a healthcare power of attorney, which is you designating one or two, maybe a few people, that you are saying, okay, if something happens to me and I can't make healthcare decisions because, you know, I'm a conscious or, like, I have severe dementia and I have no idea what's going on, these people are authorized to make healthcare decisions on my behalf. And then the living will is you... Like, basically saying, these are the decisions that I would like my agent to make. So, it will go through things like, if you have, like, for example, if you're in a a car accident and, like, you are definitely going to die, does, like, do you want to be taken off life support at that point? Or do you want to stay on life support for as long as possible? Or, like, if you have an incurable condition, do you want to be put on life support? Or do you want to have feeding tubes? Or do you just want your agent to say... No, just let let them pass. So it is 
like it's a really important part of end of life planning and often it is something that you will make at the same time that you make a regular will but is a completely separate document from a will I'm not a lawyer, so I'm, I'm not sure if this is the correct thing, but it kind of seems like what it actually is, is a trust that has specific requirements that Barry has to fulfill in order to receive. Right. Um, and it's unclear to me, like, I think that Wells has potentially been declared dead because, like, this whole thing is part of a trust that is being executed. And, like, you can make a trust that is executed as part of a will. Uh, that's actually pretty common. But I, I agree. It is it is unclear. And regardless, a living will has no part in this. Also, this is just a plug from uh, your friendly neighborhood lawyer who's not an estate planning attorney. Uh, you should generally think about making a living will, uh, even if you are not close to dying, uh, because it is very difficult to have those kind of discussions when you are dying. And it is much easier for your family members to carry out your wishes if you have those discussions beforehand. So just, like, think about it. All right. Uh, we are totally off topic, and I think that we should probably wrap up. So uh, Caitlin and I have made our list in celebration of us being done with the first season of The Flash. Caitlin and I have made our top five bad science moments, and then Natalie wants to give a little rant at the end of that. My fifth is the fact that combustion is not equivalent to fission. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not. not. And no. we can just wrap up everything to do with Firestorm in that bucket. Um, that's a good one. I thought about putting it on my list, but my number five is the supersonic punch. I, uh, I thought about that one too. And I feel like I have to put it on the list because I was the one that went through and made all the dumb calculations yes. to show that it was stupid. All right, Caitlin, number four. My number four is that Barry cannot outrun bees. <laughs> um, my number four is tachyons. They just show up. They show up so much. And like, they are not a particle that we've proven exists. Uh, all right. Number three. Absolute zero gun. Oh, I, I have something similar. Gold gun. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the absolute zero gun does bother me but honestly in some ways the gold gun bothers me more (laughs) i can see that i thought about it but i was like once you've accepted the absolute zero gun the gold gun i guess kind of vaguely (laughs) makes sense sure let's shoot molten gold at people that that (laughs) something we would monetize in a specific way instead of using it for crime Especially, especially you give the gold gun to a bunch of criminals that are trying to get rich. Like, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing? That assumes that it's actually generating or turning people into gold. Like, I, I like to imagine that in order to power the thing, you just have to, like, feed in gold bars (laughs) constantly. (laughs) That's why they have a life of crime? (laughs) Yeah, and like, it just... It just, not even, that's why, just like now in their criming, they have this massive extra expense to keep their gold gun uh, filled with ammo. Um, all right, number two. Black holes are about gravity. <laughs> all right, Caitlin, this is where I had Barry can't outrun bees. It's probably not the worst. It's probably not the worst, but it is the one that kills me every time I think about it. Barry can't outrun bees. <laughs> All right, I have a feeling we have the same thing for number one. (laughs) Number one. 
12 holograms from a mirror and blood tests 14 years after. <laughs> uh, because a, a mirror that's just been exposed to light can definitely be used to make a photograph, which can be used to make a 3D hologram that can be used to find blood that has been on the wall for 14 years. Oh, okay. That was, that was good. All right, Natalie, uh, what, what did you want to say? My, my top list is this is my single like top bad line and it is theoretically yes and the reason that's my top bad line that is from the first episode where they're dealing with time travel and what did they do they go and they ask wells hey dr wells is time travel possible and he says theoretically yes and, and this to me is emblematic of everything wrong with like how they deal with science, how they write their characters, the, their conception of what knowledge and intelligence looks like is. Um, because the answer to that question is theoretically no. And <laughs> more importantly, that's a much more interesting this is the heart of the Speed Force's ability to do things that are physically impossible, is that theoretically, no, time travel is not possible because you would have to go faster than the speed of light. You would have to accumulate a greater than infinite amount of energy. None of the equations work. The math says it is impossible, but nonetheless, it has happened. That is so much more dramatic. It's so much more interesting. It doesn't make your characters look like complete idiots. And that one line is everything <laughs> about how they do the science writing on this show. And it is the absolute worst. Why, hello, podcast listeners. This is Editing Nicole. You've already heard from Editing Caitlin, and now Editing Nicole is here. So, as you can probably tell, we are finishing up our discussion of these episodes of The Flash, so we're about to transition to Science Corner, and before we do that, I just have a couple of things I want to insert here. The first one is... A couple of weeks ago, a month ago, when I knew we were coming up to this episode, I just decided that we probably should do something special for this episode of our podcast since we're finishing up season one of The Flash. And like I've indicated in past episodes, I'm not entirely sure how much further we're going to go into The Flash. It kind of depends on uh, Caitlin. And so, you know, something special. What can I do? I can write a song. So I wrote a song commemorating the end of season one of The Flash as you do. I'm I'm assuming other people also experience this phenomenon where they just feel the need to create music to commemorate life events. In this case, my podcast life event. Great. So I am going to play this song for you now. It's called Barry Allen in parentheses. Look how far we've come. And if you can't already tell, it's very tongue in cheek. So you're not supposed to take this seriously. Barry Allen. Here we are, look at just how far we've come together. We've been through all kinds of weather, including that indoor tornado. Barry Allen, here we are. When we started, you were measuring car tire tracks in your head. 
Russian said You solved your mother's murder Aren't you glad that Joe and Cisco found that mirror? Mary Allen, here we are Look at how you fight that crime in Central City It's a pity that you're terrible at your day job Mary Allen, here we are Your mentor's gone and you opened up a space-time singularity But I guess the reverse flash will never be Was it worth it to go back in time? Do you ever stop and think of all the ones it caused to die? Because I'm still bitter about Eddie, but I guess. We're alive, you and I. We made it, we survived. In your case, you had to fight your nemesis. In my case, I sat through your bad sciences. We're alive, you and I. You made a giant black hole in the sky. But that's okay, you'll find a way to close it up and save the day. Bury you run faster than lightning, punch at supersonic speeds, but you can't run away from robotic bees. You work with tachyons, but you can't tell that something's wrong when Dr. Owens knows a lot about speed. Oh, Barry, just wait until you I mean, it's a good thing I'm not from Earth, too. Wait, what was that? Dang, this multiverse. At any rate. We're alive, you and I. We made it, we survived. In your case, you had to fight your nemesis. In my case, I sat through your bad sciences. We're alive, you and I. You made a giant black hole in the sky, but that's okay. That was fun. What kind of deranged mind comes up with a weird song commemorating the end of a, a podcast milestone? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Let's move on. So, I had this crazy idea. This crazy idea is I have a Bandcamp page, and I discovered recently that I can give away, can give away free downloads of my Bandcamp music. 
I think at some point they actually expect you to sell things, but I don't sell things. I just post things up there for Caitlin to listen to. Whatever. This is fine. So my crazy thought is thusly. Would you like to own this song for time and all eternity? Would you? Yes. If you're thinking to yourself, yes, I have a great option for you. So there is going to be a Twitter post associated with this episode. If you go on Twitter and like retweet us and like us and then like either like comment or retweet with comment of like your favorite bad science moment of The Flash, I will DM you a free download of this song from my Bandcamp page. Woo, so exciting. All right, so if you don't want to have a download of this song, that's fine. You don't have to do anything. It's a weird song. I understand if you're like, wow, no, I do not want this polluting my phone. But if you do, you can have it. I, you know, I get 200 free downloads a month and I've, I've never given any of them away. And I imagine I'll probably give away like two one to Caitlin, one to someone else. So, <laughs> here you go. From our last episode, you may remember that we have started a podcasting network with our podcasting friends, Wizard Studies, and with another podcast called Here's Johnny that's all about horror. And I'm going to play a little promo for them that they made specifically for this podcast. So, enjoy. Hi, my name is Larry, and I'm a research scientist. Uh, and my name is Justin, and I know absolutely nothing about science. But together, Justin and I still take a look at horror movies, games, and TV shows on the Here's Johnny podcast. Yeah, we also got to talk to some really awesome people like directors, producers, writers, streamers, and even other podcasters. Our show comes out every Monday. You can look it up by searching Here's Johnny Podcast in your favorite podcast app, and you can reach out to us on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast. We think you will like what you find. Oh, Larry, I thought of something science-related to horror that I actually know. What's that? The blood is supposed to stay in the body. Uh, very good observation there, Justin. Thanks. Very Canadian of you. All right, so... Uh, you heard from Here's Johnny. That's great. Go check them out. As you heard, they post every Monday, so... On the Mondays that we're not posting, at least, or on the Mondays when we don't get our episode up until a Thursday, <laughs> like today, you should go check them out at the very least. Or you should just check them out every Monday because uh, Larry and Justin are great. I don't even like horror, but I've really enjoyed listening to some of their episodes. All right, and now I'm going to stop blabbering and let's go to Science Corner, friends. All right, do we want to do a quick Science Corner? So I, I have a, an interesting article from The Atlantic that Ooh. is talking about 10,000 steps and this whole idea that like you should get 10,000 steps a day. And so it's, it, it kind of talks about, uh, to begin with, that like the reason why 10,000 steps a day became a thing is that when pedometers started becoming popular, um, it like it was kind of like a marketing push like you should get 10,000 steps a day and i want to say it was a marketing push that came from japan there was like a researcher that posited that part of the reason this came up is i guess the character for 10,000 in japanese looks a lot like a walking man as well oh um so it it talks a little bit about that and then uh it discusses a study that um now granted this is for like elderly women so 
probably the results would be a little bit different if you are not elderly. But basically, it found that uh, at 4,400 steps per day, the, the women had significantly lower mortality rates um, compared to the least active women, and that it basically capped out at 7,500 steps a day, and that even just walking 2,000 steps a day was associated with positive health outcomes for these elderly women. So again, like if you're not an elderly person, then like the results would probably be different for you. But I think it's really interesting, like showing that there's not like a magic number. And if you personally are saying, you know, I want to be more active, but I don't think that 10,000 steps a day is really feasible. Like there's at least some research evidence showing that like, hey, even if you can just get like 4,000, 5,000 steps a day, that's going to be healthy for you. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. So just like remember that there are a lot of ways to be active and even just being a little active is good for you. So that's my science corner. Um, yeah. Natalie, do you have anything you would like to talk about? Uh, I mean, in terms of science that I've recently learned about, it turns out there's very little about the human body related to like puberty and adulthood. Uh, and like the changes that it goes through to to go through that process that's actually uh, determined by like chromosomes and uh, established physiology directly and it's basically all just hormones that which is to say that you can take basically any like pre-adolescent body and if you throw the right hormones at it like it's going to go through basically a female puberty or a male puberty um and it doesn't really matter like which one it would have gone through unaided uh and conversely and usefully for me turns out even after you've gone through a puberty you can just hot swap those babies and go through another one all right i need to go to bed soon so i think we need to wrap it up um thank you so much for listening natalie thank you so much for going on i'm so impressed by the amount of research that you did for this episode yes thank you so much i could do a whole other episode on how they should have like narratively structured the these two episodes so that barry would actually feel responsible for ronnie's death in a way that made any sense and tied in better with all of the themes set up in the first episode but we don't have time for that. No. The show, the writing in this show is not good. It, it is bad. It's, it's not the best, it's, though. I it's, would say it's deeply uneven. Yeah, this is true. All right. Um, well, thank you for listening. Yes, uh, thank you, you can so find much. Us, you can find us on Twitter at TNHSWpod, or you can find us individually. I'm at Nicole Luckless. I'm at Caitlin Venance. Oh, uh, and I am here. All right. I don't have a Twitter handle that matters. Uh, oh. uh, uh, uh. I wasn't sure if you had one or not. All right. Well, if you have any comments for Natalie, you can just tweet at us and we will pass it along to Natalie. Exactly. Um, you can also, once again, I'm just going to plug this. You could still get a sticker from us. We're still not going to sell your address online. We'll just send you a sticker and then delete your your address. But you can DM us on Twitter or you can send us an email at uh that's not how science works podcast at gmail.com um feel free to check out our website that's not science.com and uh make sure that you check out the post for this episode i have a ton of articles that i'm gonna post and if 
if Caitlin sends me her articles and uh, Natalie, you can send me your articles too. I will post them. Sure. You can listen to the theme songs at my band camp, which you can find by going to our website and clicking on the music tab. And uh, you should also rate and review us where you are listening to this because apparently it helps us like find, helps people find our podcast. Do we need to make an announcement in this podcast? We probably should. Yeah, I'm going to do a voiceover for our next episode uh, announcing it. But we are also part of a podcast network called the Kaleidoscope Media Network. Um, You should check out our sister podcast. Um, (coughs) Here's Johnny, which is about horror. Uh, which is great because we're not going to talk about horror on this podcast nope. because Caitlin and I, it's, it's a hard pass for both of us, All those horror things you've been wanting to tell us to watch, just send it their way, please. Thank you. And then uh, you can also listen to our other sister podcast, Wizard Studies Perusing All Things Potter, if you're like, science is dumb. I just want magic. Yes. Also, um, another subject that I will never cover, so it's perfect. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, we are also actively looking for other uh, podcasts to join our network. So if you would be interested, uh, please send us an email um, or a DM on Twitter, and we'd love to discuss that further. Yes. Uh, I think that's all. I think I got everything. Did I get everything? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Yay. Wow, you just released so many like Terra Electrovolts of Energy by doing that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that seems like a good ending. <laughs> yeah. All right, bye. Bye. This is editing Nicole back for one last time just to let you know. Next week, we not next week, in 2 weeks, <laughs> we are going to be talking about the Pixar movie Inside Out with one of my best friends who is a neuroscientist. And we had so much fun recording this episode. You should definitely listen in. Um, That's all that I have for you. Have a great July 4th weekend next week. And we will see you after that because our next episode will be on the Monday after July 4th. And for those of our listeners not in the United States, then, you know, have... Some red, white, and blue food in our honor, I guess. Or if you hate America, that's fine. Like, set set some red, white, and blue food on fire. No, don't do that, actually. That, that sounds like a bad idea. Just eat some food from your home country that makes you feel really happy inside. That's what I got for you. All right. <laughs> See you then.